Bros, the internet's only Smallville podcast, but we're thinking of changing the name. <laughs> My name is Vry, uh, I'm they, them, and with me as always is Dorothy, who is she, her. Hello! And I know you have all been waiting on tenterhooks all summer long, but it's okay, because we have returned with season two of Smallville. <laughs> how how, the, how airing, the airing schedule for the show really was funny, because... It meant that sort of the summers would happen and just all of the plots would presumably just stop for three months. I don't know why they For the actually, characters. I, I guess it's because the actors continue to age as though they ever looked the age of their characters. But why would you have a time skip? No, wait, I know why. It's because... It's, it's the production break. Yeah. No, no, no. But I mean, like, in theory, you would just have the the show pick up right you know where it left off temporally except that you want to echo that school cycle because you, that's your viewership recording i answered my own question immediately yeah yeah the harry potter idea mm-hmm. except for this first episode which did in fact hang all of the cliffs yes because uh as as you are all aware last season ended on an extremely dire cliffhanger with tornadoes just coming to eradicate Smallville, what will we do? Everyone was dying. People were dying. You know, not ones we cared about, but like... But like, the threat of death was in the air. Lionel almost died. Lana almost died. Chloe, Chloe was sad. Clark's secret was imperiled like never before. It was high-stakes stuff. So we're going to be looking at four episodes again, right? Yes, we are. And this week's batch of episodes is Vortex, aka the opener of season two, and Heat, Duplicity, and Red. This batch of episodes ushers in some of just the choicest content. I feel as though I'm, a, I'm owed an apology for Red. <laughs> for Red, really? For Red specifically. Here is where I draw the line. <laughs> Before we get into our segments, let's start with our little potted summaries. So, Vortex continues on our two-parter, picks up exactly where we left off, which makes the pacing really weird here because this is still back in spring, but next episode will be autumn. The tornado has now passed, and in the aftermath, Jonathan Kent is missing, and presumably other people, but the only one we really care about is Jonathan Kent. He and Roger Nixon, the evil reporter, are trapped in an underground mausoleum, which is not nearly as creepy as it should be, and they have this long, annoying philosophical discussion about whether uh, the whole world needs to know about Clark's powers and whatnot. Clark wanders around trying to find Jonathan with the help of his friends. And Lex does not kill his dad. Unfortunately. Yes, Lex tries to prove that he's a better person by not killing his dad. This was widely regarded to be a mistake. Next one, Heat. I'm surprised this isn't the one where you feel you're owed a personal apology, but like, okay. This is yet another sex pollen episode. If anybody here watched uh, Stargate SG-1 back in the day, it's Hathor. It's just that same thing. They even use the same pink breath effect to indicate when this evil slut is using her wiles against the men of Smallville. Four people are nodding so hard at you right now. Yes, I know. I support them. They know what I'm talking about. It's the first day of school in fall 2002. We are, you know, very much in a post-9-11 world now. Boy, we'll get into that. And um, 
Clark discovers that his heat vision is activated by boners because there's an evil sexy teacher who murders rich men. Shockingly, she is engaged to Lex. She then attempts to black widow her way into Lex's fortune. Shenanigans ensue. And, of course, the real problem with allegations is always that they harm the lives of these good upcoming boys. So sad. (sighs) Episode three, Duplicity, is... So after the tornado, the spaceship got blown out of the cellar and landed somewhere. Right, you remember the spaceship, right? And the key? It was a whole thing that the reporter had. It was a danger, but we solved it because he's dead. So No thanks to Jonathan. We'll get into that. So as it turns out, the spaceship landed back in the cornfield where it's discovered by Sam, who's very excited to show his good friend Clark this cool discovery he made because he finally got to do something cool and important. And Clark is extremely bad at attempting to defuse the situation and it escalates into him having to reveal his powers to Sam, who is not actually mad that, you know, his friend has powers. It's just that this is a serious erosion of the trust between them. There is coding, friends. Oh boy, is there coding. It's just as awkward as you might be thinking. And then the last episode of our batch is Red, which introduces Red Kryptonite to the series. Clark spends money that Jonathan told him not to on a class ring, which turns out to have been made by a cut rate company that was using Red Kryptonite rather than actual gemstones, and so it turns him into a rapist douchebag until they can manage to get it off. The end. It sucks. Also, there's a subplot about a girl whose family is in witness protection. Which just kind of fizzles out. (laughs) Goes nowhere and does nothing. It's wild. I think because we couldn't have Clark acting that sexual with someone as pure as Lana. God... The sexual politics of this show continue to be quite bad. Very bad and also confusing. Which I believe brings us roundly into talking about our monsters of the week. And the biggest monster of the week in Smallville, it turns out, is journalism. You know, the show about journalists. So baffling to me to what, like, again, I am not the most versed in Superman stories, but it is jaw-dropping to watch a Superman story that hates journalists and journalism as much as Smallville does. I I mentioned this offhandedly on Twitter and some folks were a little bit surprised by that. So I think we really have to hammer on how much of a thing this was. It's tough to think of now, but post 9-11 really cemented the 24-hour news cycle as we think of it now. There was cable news at the time, but it wasn't quite the same. Yeah, and it was sort of the peak of a cycle of things that helped build the 24-hour news cycle and newsfotainment. You know, the O.J. Simpson trial and the Columbine High School massacre both helped create that dynamic. And uh, later on, the Beltway sniper shootings contributed to that. But just the idea that there is money in constantly reporting incoming information that hasn't had time to sit and get fact-checked. Also specifically in the kind of extremely patriotic paranoia that was immediately after 9-11, there was this couple of months that was 
sort of intensely coalesced into an us or them mentality before you even got the basic beginnings of people, you know, questioning the weapons of mass destruction narrative and all of that, which is, I mean, a lot of, I have seen some revisionist narratives that are saying back then nobody questioned the weapons of mass destruction thing. And that's not true. It's not People true, but question it, it, but to question it was seen as sort of inherently un-American. Yeah, that's that's true. That's an important distinction is it did happen, but it was quite vehemently shot down, I guess, at the time. And this is the kind of aura. What, you don't care about all of our people? You, you just want to let them get away with what they did? Yeah. And again, I grew up in Maryland in the area near Washington, D.C., which, to be clear, is not in Maryland. I know a lot of people think that Washington, D.C. is located in Maryland. It's a separate district. They don't have voting rights. It's It's bad. A lot of the heightened paranoia in America was even more so in the region where I grew up. So it was this weird dynamic where I was in an intensely militarized region of the U.S. where some of the attacks had actively happened. I knew people who saw the Pentagon bombing happen. And so we all make jokes about, you know, our friendly FBI wiretapper watching us uh, surf the internet now, but that was a very real concern that, that we had, especially where I lived, because NSA was right there. I, I was a landscaper for government projects for a couple of years when I was younger. And so it got to, the, to this point where you would be very careful about who you said things to and how you constructed things as sort of joking and would feel things out. It's honestly kind of similar to how we, how you feel out whether somebody's queer or something. So it was this weird, intensely politicized moment that... And I mean, out, I lived, you know, a little further west from Kansas. I got family in Kansas, or did, that nobody I knew was more than, was less than one step removed from the folks actually impacted by 9-11. But there was still this blanket of jingoism that was kind of almost more inescapable for how theoretical it was, if that makes sense. Right. If the whole war is ideological, then you have to lean on the ideology that much harder. Freedom fries were not a joke. That was a very serious thing that happened. That was a real thing. Freedom toast. Again, there was a lovely local French bakery in my hometown that I'm dead sure got driven out of business post 9-11 because French people are the enemy because they wouldn't side with America invading Iraq. It was a bad time. And part of that led was what really led to the rise of Fox News as we know it now. And this very reactionary packaging of journalism. Yeah, and and the way Fox packages itself as packaged itself at the time as fair and balanced and as the outsider cowboy news rather than the government news created this idea that that sort of jingoistic way of operating your supposed news source was the real way to do it and so real investigative journalism was the enemy. And that's very much the mentality we see infusing Smallville is that anyone who is actually looking into anything is just a greedy bad person who's trying to, you know, secretly make money and doesn't care about anything. So it's better to just cover things up. My God, you named this character Roger Nixon. For fuck's sake. 
and the entire ideology around his character in this episode is yeah you don't want to tell people things for good reasons you just want to profit off of this news yeah it's this very complex situation that's being boiled down to the idea that only clark has this sort of inhuman integrity to decide what anybody should know at any given time and literally just wanting any information at all about anything means that you are suspect in the enemy which again is a mentality i had i once saw a bomb sniffing robot go into a building that was being evacuated where i worked and nobody told me anything i just sort of sat there and ate my lunch on a hill and watched this robot and some people in hazmat suits go in and out so odd and kind of upsetting in the way it just rockets me back to that time because you don't think of smallville as like it's a cw show how conservative can it be they have sexy teens very very and it's kind of quite earnestly upsetting yeah and there are aspects of that sort of time capsulization that i don't think would necessarily translate to people who don't remember it that well or who've always been living in the aftermath of that like it might strike odd and it might seem weird but it but i think the fact that it is rooted in that moment is very helpful in understanding what's going on and what the implicit audience response is supposed to be uh oh i bummed myself out (laughs) (laughs) on a lighter note um but monsters of the week though yes uh, our our next monster uh is women (laughs) so that's good and fine you know those uh those sultry women who go around being black widows and tempting helpless men into their wiles she got her evil powers because she was literally fucking when the meteor storm happened for real also we we do that thing where we claim pheromones are anything in a way (laughs) her powers don't work on clark and it's very funny honestly like why because he's kryptonian okay he's above that yeah i guess but not above you know getting boners from staring at naked teenage girls oh my god yeah the other villain of the week is puberty (laughs) what when did spider-man come out it was out by now. It was 2001. Yeah, that's what I thought. They're trying to do that kind of Spider-Man-y, her-her, puberty thing. Huh. And it's just intensely gross to see sort of Jonathan Kent having to talk to Clark Kent about boners without Saying discussing it. it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and meanwhile, Krista Allen is... I can't even say she's really, like, trying. That doesn't feel right. But she's, like, working with this nothing part (laughs) and good for her she was on baywatch so she's used to working on like camp tv yeah but it's so funny that like we're meant to believe that she literally met lex luther two weeks ago and somehow became a teacher at smallville high school in these totally inappropriate clothes like not to slut shame but these clothes are literally inappropriate for somebody to wear in a teaching setting (laughs) Yeah, they're fine clothes on their own, but they're not a teaching uniform. No. And do I have thoughts about the, the inherent conservatism of what's considered appropriate work wear? Yes, but also if she moves, her ass will show. It's not just a short skirt. It is a micro skirt. It's, it's this little see-through chiffon dress. So um, at one point they make sure to stand her in front of a window and light her so you can see her thigh gap. They stop just short. Of doing the Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Ooh, yeah. 
That was Ferris Bueller. Damn. I am thinking of the pool scene, though. Ah. You have combined those. Yes, I have in my brain, and it's potent. <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, it's it's late August, so everything's hot, so she's all sweaty, and we see people having, like, drops of, of sweat trickle down their brows. Okay, this is a thing where fiction likes to combine, you know, summer heat and horniness. Who has the energy to have sex in the summer? It's hot and it's sweaty and you're going to do something that gets you hotter and sweatier and stinkier. (laughs) No. Stand in your freezer and eat a popsicle. Yeah. (laughs) Cue sexy popsicle eating. It is very funny, though, because Lex... So... She shows a hilarious public safety film about reproduction in the quote-unquote sex ed class, which it's literally lions fucking. This will teach you so much about your growing urges. (laughs) Well, apparently it teaches Clark that he's a furry because he immediately sets the film strip on fire with his boner eyes. Metaphor so much with his eye boners. It and this is not just a vague metaphor, by the way. He literally has heat vision whenever he gets turned on. It is explicit. Get this teenager some ruby shades. I know those only work against concussive blasts. Don't at me. It's not quite false accusations ruin lives, but it is women can't be trusted. And it is dancing around that, though, because she does call the cops on him and frame him for a bunch of shit and... And, like, you don't trust me, but we've been friends forever and this slut just walked into your life... Two weeks ago, and she's inherently evil because she had a traumatic experience while engaging in consensual sex 20 years ago. She did use those powers to decide to go commit murder, but my god, the framing of it. Yeah, but but it's like that. There, there's no way she could have those powers and not do that, mm-hmm. is sort of implied. Yeah, it seems like the meteor shower made her evil. Horny and evil. And the horniness it. is part of the evil. Uh-huh. But also the... Her horniness is, it's not that she's horny, it's that she causes other people to be horny. So it's not even her experiencing attraction. It's that she's this malign force that manipulates men. It's like some fatal attraction shit. Yeah. Where she sets the car on fire and, oh my god, I hated it. Yeah. But it is very funny how um, Lex wanders up to the school in his shiny car you know, after it's been all summer. And Clark clearly thinks that Lex has driven up to, like, check on him and make sure he's okay. And then Lex walks right past him and starts sucking tonsils with this chick. And literally everybody in town is very confused about the upcoming nuptials. It's extremely funny. Lex Luthor, we all thought he was gay. Right? (laughs) You've seen the power suits, right? (laughs) The fencing. (laughs) Now, I don't think Lex is gay. I think he's bi and really prefers dudes. But, like, it's also great that he's, that this is all happening. Uh-huh. And also the boner plot. Right. The fact that these two plots exist in the same episode is so much in the worst way. <laughs> it's right up there with Nicodemus. Yeah. 
and then the third episode was cruel enough to to remind me that uh, Dr. Hamilton exists and then make me sad that the show is doing nothing with him. Uh-huh. Because I really like Joe Morton. I he's think he's so fun actor. to watch. He's really good. The first thing I ever saw him in, as far as I can recall, was Terminator 2, and I've been excited to see him and everything ever since. He played Barack Obama on The House. Oh my god, of course. Of course, House. Yep. Uh-huh. That's powerful cursed knowledge you've laid on me i understand why you've blocked it out but oh like they didn't call him barack obama but okay and it was also some of that very uh retrospective cringe on account the house has about it where because you know house he just he tells it like it is so he says a bunch of really racist shit to this guy and says you'll never be president because people won't elect you and then so anyway the uh the villain of this episode besides the writers criminally misusing Joe Morton, is the writers criminally misusing coming out metaphors. Ooh, it's some Brian Singer stuff. Have you tried? Just not being a mutant. This is coming out metaphors centering everybody except the person who's coming out. Like, this is that thing where it's centering the feelings of those who are not disclosed to and how hurtful it is that you wouldn't just know that you can trust me. And it is very confusing because on the one hand, as the metaphor works... I want to side with Clark. But as the show works, I really want to side with Pete. Yeah. Because <laughs> the Clark, the Ken family sucks uh-huh. and I hate them here. Yeah. They continue to be horrible and selfish. Martha's okay. I like that they tried to go over... Clark and Jonathan tried to go over and rob shit from Sam's shed, and the only thing that stopped them was that somebody else had already robbed shit from Sam's shed. And yet they still are trying to act like they have the moral high ground in the middle of the plains of Kansas. It's flat there, buddy. (laughs) It's real flat. Pete finally has a character. Kind of. He gets to do some heroic stuff. He does. Like, he gets threatened because... You know, you know the secret and blah, blah, blah. And and he doesn't tell because he is, in fact, a brave and protective friend. I really liked that scene. Uh-huh. Sam Jones III is, in fact, a good actor when he's actually given material. I keep calling him Sam. His name's Pete in the show. But, like, Sam Jones III. Yes. No, I'm with yeah. you. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, I really liked that scene. He, mm-hmm. he really sold it. And then it's... Also, we forgot to mention Lionel. Oh, I was saving Lionel. Oh, but... we're saving that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I'm just putting that... In a box. Over here. We are not looking at it right now. In a box labeled ableism. (laughs) Yep. Okay. (laughs) It's like they finally figured out what to do with Pete by making him in on the secret. Because Chloe, well, really, at at this point, Chloe is just there for the bullshit love triangle stuff. But theoretically, she's doing the wall of weird journalism stuff. And Lana has the connection with Lex, again, mostly in theory and the romance stuff. But they never knew what to do with Pete. And so this is a way more active way to get him involved in the plot. And he and Alice and Mac have really nice chemistry, honestly. They do. Like, whenever they're actually allowed to talk to one another for a minute, granted usually about Clark, they have really nice chemistry. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I think we're supposed to read Pete as kind of this jealous nice guy, but I genuinely kind of root for them because he seems like a better friend when they actually talk. Yeah, and it's it's weird, again, because he is also sort of being put into the position of being the Ron Weasley, and I apologize for all of the mentions of J.K. Rowling. She's terrible, but, like, that's present. 
Yeah, and once again, the show brings in... It's like they want to treat uh, Hamilton as this kind of wild card character because he's... So Lex cut off his funding... And so he he tries he's trying to get funding from Lionel for which he steals unclear, the ship. It's unclear what he uses funding for. Yeah, that's my problem. Is I want to be on board with this weird mad scientist guy. I have no idea what he does. He just does stuff. He does. You stuff. know, he, he, science leads him. He just does the science to stuff. And I love whatever Lex is like. You did what? Why you did said you, you were do doing this other thing? Why are you making sex pollen flowers? Why did you do that? (laughs) The utter mystery of his character is honestly amazing. (laughs) He just shows up to cause shit a couple times a season. And then he wanders away again. Yeah. Also, he's he's dying. He's got seizures now. Yeah. So he's desperate to continue his research in the hopes, presumably, that it will stop him from dying. Kryptonite cancer seizures. So so this is the second well-regarded black actor they've brought onto this show to die of seizures. From Kryptonite. Yup. If they get one more, do they get to fill out a punch card? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and once they've rescued Pete, he kind of wanders back out again. It, because Smallville. I assume we'll see him halfway through the season. Yeah, this, this... Don't worry. Cadmus slash Star Labs is an important thing in Superman mythology generally, so... Dr. Hamilton is the equivalent of that piece of advice in noir writing where if you don't know what to do with your hero, you have him cock him on the head and have him pass out. Yeah, exactly. He's like that, but a character. <laughs> and the uh, the villain of Red is rape culture. And cocaine. And cocaine. I hated this episode so It's so much. fucking bad. The, actually, the real villain of this episode is Clark, but we let him off the hook at the end. Which... Yeah, this... This show has this weird thing where if anybody else does anything, especially under the influence of any drugs, they're a bad person. When Clark gets high as shit and does atrocities, well, he was high. It's really odd because the show, the show goes out of its way to say that he receives the information that he's under the influence of something and can, and then continues on his current path anyway. But then at the end, they're like, well, you just didn't know what you were doing. And no, he did. He did. And I'd be more inclined to say, well, yeah, but... He committed a lot of credit card fraud, beat people up. So we have to talk about the scene in the bar. So there's a scene where Clark, while high as balls on a piece of red kryptonite, decides to date this new girl who wears shirts with spaghetti straps at school. Shocking. Oh my god, spaghetti straps. That was such a hot two topic fingers, of discussion. Two finger widths. Oh my god. And she and her family are in witness protection and somebody's trying to assassinate them. That's just there. That's just happening. Why? I don't know. Well, it's because her dad has some data that's relevant to something. IDK. It's not relevant to anything here, though. Nope. It's They wandered in from another show. Yep. And we don't care about it, I guess. Yep. They just bug out at the end of the episode understandably because her new boyfriend tries to sell them out and have them killed her new boyfriend being clark yep because he's avaricious now yep but so at one point he he takes her and lana to this bar where you can where they don't check ids so that they can drink beers and lana of course is prim and does not like this 
And it sets it up with some guys sort of looking judgmentally at them. And it's like, oh no, these guys are going to hit on Lana and stuff. And instead, Clark starts acting like an abusive boyfriend and, and treating Lana like shit. Like yanking her around by her arm and, and stuff. And telling her she can't leave. So this group of grown men all stand up and are like, hey, you can't treat her like that. Let her leave. And it's still framed as like they're being the bad guy here. And that it's really cool and funny that Clark beats them up. Like, yeah, he's not behaving right, but... Don't you wish that you could beat up random dudes in a bar? Hold on, we have to stop everything because I just noticed that the IMDb summary for this episode is... Clark gets his Smallville class ring, but these rings contain red kryptonite, making him turn into Dark Clark. Lark. <laughs> Dark Clark! <laughs> Sadly, this will not be the last we see of this. No! The, this is one of those episodes that I think makes me ang- like, so Heat is terrible and bad and misogynistic, but I think I hate Red more because I can see where it would be a good and useful episode. But A, I can't imagine they're going to come back to the conversation at the end, which is about how, you know, you acted this way under the influence, but your frustrations came from a real place. And the fact that you feel like you can't ever complain about the fact that we have money issues or that there's all these expectations on you. And maybe I should talk about that as your shitty dad. So A, I don't think they're ever going to come back to that, which is a good and interesting thing to talk about for Clark, because again, the show is best when it's talking about toxic masculinity and about how quote unquote negative emotions are good to feel. You just have to put them in their place and talk them out and not bottle that shit up. But also there's- Wait, you're saying M Morty lied to me? That, yeah, take that shit out of the backpack. Categorize it. Put it in jars. But also the fact that because there are other characters who would not be treated with this grace when they do shit. Like, there are so many things where, like, Lex demonstrably does a wrong thing, but it's because of all these circumstances that led him to believe that this was a good thing he was doing. And in theory, you would treat these two narratives with the same weight of, you know, you're not bad, but you have to deal with the demonstrable harm of what you did. But they don't. <laughs> Lex is bad and Clark is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's frustrating. And I think part of the reason it's so irritating as an episode is because it is a mythos episode it's planting this thing so that they can circle back around to it whenever they want whereas heat was a one-off yeah mm. oh i hated it so much it's... rosenbaum's good in that episode though he is quite good he just bewildered he's really doing his best <laughs> before we get to lex we should do what we should do we need to talk about our other love interests, you know, starting with Lana, because, of course, she is the heart of the show. She broke up with Whitney. Over video. She sent him a videotape. Sir not appearing in this season. Yep. And it's like, good for you, girl. But then she's still doing this weird thing where woohoo, single and not dating Clark when it's very much implied that she broke up with Whitney to date Clark. Yeah, and I buy Chloe not... I, I buy Chloe feeling awkward and doing the whole, haha, I was just kidding, we're better as friends thing that goes on through these episodes. Because that's been set up with her character, that they mostly have that bond and it was like a weird thing. But Lana is, Lana has theoretically been set up as this very straightforward character. So I don't buy her not talking to Clark, except 
because the writing needs to draw this out longer. Yeah, it's frustrating. And it's and because Chloe decide, you know, I assumed that it would be a case where Loey, yes, where Loey was a couple. Klana was a ship back in the day. I ship it. Hell yeah, I'm into this. <laughs> Good. Yeah, bring me the fanfic. <laughs> but I, I assumed that Chloe and uh, Clark would be dating for the early part of the season, and that is why Lana would be kind of over here regretting her mischance or whatever. But no, Chloe pulls back on it pretty much as soon as he leaves her hanging to go rescue Lana, and I cannot say I blame her. Yep, like fair. And then she fucked off all summer to you know, work her internship, but we don't see what happens in the summers on this show, so Mm -hmm. it's been three months by the time she comes back. And then, apparently, Clark didn't email her that whole time. Because he sucks. Because he sucks. So there is no reason for Lana not to say something. Anything. It's bad writing. (laughs) There's kind of a brief blip of a plot with her in the Talon where while Lex is under the throes of, of his terrible evil wife. <laughs> uh-huh. He he's going to sell off the talent. Her name's Desiree, y'all. <laughs> yep. But that's not Lana's not actually involved in that plot because this episode is terrified of thinking about how its stupid pheromone plot might involve women. Yeah. Presumably it wouldn't affect them because pheromones was an extremely heteronormative concept as played on television, and Smallville doesn't strike me as a sweeps week kiss kind of show. <laughs> no. Man, there, I mean, there are lesbians on this show. Oh, God. You'll have to wait for it, though. That is a threatening statement you've put on me. <laughs> yeah, this is the first run of episodes where it feels like Lana is, is not even a character. Like, there have been previous episodes where I felt like Lana was inconsistent, or I was irritated with what the writing did with her, but she's just a non-character here. She is an object for Clark to ro- to revolve around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's unfortunate. And Chloe has those nice scenes with Pete and otherwise is... I, I hate this dynamic. I hate it so much. Yeah. But you know what's really terrible? Lex Luthor did not let his father die. And that's also... That's terrible. And also, I heard... He stole 40 kicks. And that's terrible. He's eating his feelings. Wouldn't you? Yes. Yeah, Lexa, by contrast, has a lot to do. And we are still firmly in the era of the show where Lex has not committed any full-on atrocities yet. So it does always feel like, you know, I can see where he's coming from, though. (laughs) Honestly, and partly because Rosenbaum really sells his performance. And Glover is selling the hell out of this, too. Yes. Yeah, so the primary thing is that after we come back from break... Lex manages to save Lionel to prove that he's a better person than his father. Oops, poor mistake. Rushes him to the hospital and says, look, we can't afford to wait for... The the doctor says that they should wait for him to stabilize. But Lex insists on going ahead with surgery because he got hit on the head. And so there's a chance that if they don't act quickly, he's going to go blind. Or No, he's going to die. But there could be complications if we go too soon. Mm -hmm. Because we can't afford to airlift him out or get big important people in right to do stuff and so lex makes the call and you and know his dad's like yes you're right that's exactly the call i would make but <gasps> i'm blind i'm blind 
It would have been better if you'd let me die. An actual line that appears in this series, ableism o'clock. So much ableism. It never stops. Yeah, and there's all of this shit circling around where Lionel's complaining about feeling impotent and feeling like a loss of agency and due to being in the hospital and dehumanized through treatment and stuff. And meanwhile, Lex is sitting here like, kidding me? Because that is part of Lex's trauma, is having spent a long time in the hospital as a child and then also watched his mom die of cancer. It is weird that it's like the one moment of believable mundane cruelty that the show has actually put on Lex, that he is kind of using this as an opportunity to power trip on his dad. But at the same time- But it doesn't linger on it. But also, dude does need to be in treatment, though. Oh, no, uh, (laughs) I mean after when he's just kind of around. Just kind of lurking. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, no, at first, Lionel just skips town on his therapy because he feels as because though Because he's rich enough that, you know, he doesn't actually have to learn to to adapt and use accommodations. Mm-hmm. I kind of hope that there is somebody who, is, um, who has talked about this from a disability perspective because, because Glover gives that really, really good monologue about feeling dehumanized when he talks about how he felt so powerful before and now he just feels... Like, he can't do anything. And he dislikes being talked down to during all this therapy. He sells the speech quite well. I have no idea how this fits into disability narrative specifically. Yeah. And I would bet it's kind of a mixed bag. Because he's prob- he probably is articulating actual problems with the system of how we handle disability. But I am 100% sure they're also propagating extremely harmful because it's Smallville, and literally every time they've tackled anything we do know about, we know that it did it bad. Yeah. So now Lionel is a very convenient figure because the show can do things like have Dr. Hamilton approach him and have him feel the spaceship. And then when he come- brings Lex back later, gosh, it's gone. And it feels really gross. Uh-huh, <laughs> like, yeah. no, Lionel's a plot device. Yeah, they're straight up doing this thing where they can have just anything happen right in front of him. Oh boy, the is comedy blindness. Yep. And they also worked in just about every way you could reference eyes or seeing in one scene. Like, I want to show you something. Come look at this with me. Smallville really smartly drawing attention to the limitations of language based on our physical senses. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was definitely uh, what they were doing. Yeah, so. That's gross. So that's gross. Shout out to Lex, though, in, like, you as you uh, alluded to in red he's really good in that episode uh-huh like, yeah because his his friend who he wants to smooch shows up at his house clearly tripping balls and acting uncharacteristic and lex's number one instinct is to tell him wait here while i get a big sack of money and send some stuff and we can just run and i will absolutely totally run away with you to be bad boys in metropolis that sounds great and then he He's like, just wait here for 10 minutes. And he immediately goes and gets Clark's parents. <laughs> like, your, your kid's high. I don't know what he's doing, but he's high. And he's at my house. Uh, do you want this to do something about this? extremely not okay. I know what high people look like. I have lived a life. Yeah. At the ripe old age of 21. He might be 22 now. Ooh. It's, it's good and it's effective. And I think it shows sort of... I think it's very useful in showing how he's sort of grown as a person where he's sort of work, looking through how, here's what I did. Here's what people did about that. That didn't work. 
What can I do? That's I shouldn't. I shouldn't run away with him to <laughs> to Metropolis and see how this goes. I should get help. This is not ideal. I think part of what does make Lex's character so frustrating is the moments where when it's not crucial to building the mythos, they do have an unexpectedly deft hand at certain points, which is what makes it all the more jarring when they have to shove this character back into the extremely simplistic black and white stories that they don't know what else to do with because Superman good, Lex Luthor bad. Mm -hmm. Shout out to the episode where he gets engaged though and everybody clearly doesn't believe it. Right? Like, you, uh, to a woman, sorry. you said. T to a woman, though. And you're getting married now? This isn't going to be one of those like, very long engagements? Like, right away. And you're asking this high schooler to be your best man. I see. <laughs> it, it's hilariously awkward. <laughs> because I don't think anybody was told to react like you think this character's gay. But the energy <laughs> is everywhere. And that shot of Clark acting like, where's my hug? Right. When Lex blows past him to hug his fiance. Bro. <laughs> Bro. Do you have anything you want to add about red kryptonite from the comics or like the animated? Different colors of kryptonite have done different things in the comics at different times. Mm -hmm. But in general, it's pretty much firmed down to red kryptonite causes personality changes. And red kryptonite causes personality changes. And that's what it is in the show is that red kryptonite takes away your impulse control and makes you a giant asshole and selfish which i can see why they did that because right teenage metaphors but i really hate how they implemented it uh-huh because if you're doing something with substances i feel like you need to know what you're doing and cw does not have a great track record for that you don't say you haven't watched supernatural so i can't talk about demon blood with you Oh my god. I've watched enough Supernatural. I've watched an excess of six episodes. That is not enough to talk about the demon blood plot. Somewhere in the audience, at least eight people are nodding fervently Oh, with come you. on. A lot more people than eight. Yeah, no, you're right. I see you, and I love all of you and your bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, shall we bring it in and talk about the jukebox before we go? I suppose so. <laughs> because it's a, a smaller... We had less to splash out on songs this time around, but boy, there were some choice ones. <laughs> the most succulent 2002 jams. So Vortex has, in fact, only two licensed songs, which are Time and Time Again by Stretch Princess, an amazing band name. <laughs> and you know what? Good for her. Good for Ms. Armstrong. And In My Place by Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's the era yep. it's a short jump from here to fix you people yeah and a billion and one sherlock amvs no thank you <laughs> heat had every horny song they could get their hands on at the uh -huh. time which was including the best one my friends over you from newfound glory i like newfound glory they're still around, and they mostly do cover songs now on YouTube Good with great them. videos. The song I could not escape at every single dance I ever came into contact with. Say what? But anyway, it's Hot in Here by Nelly. Say what? To this day, if anybody says it's getting hot in here, so, I have to just bite my tongue. So 
take off all your clothes. Yep. It's just there. Uh-huh. Everyone. Inescapable. Then we have A Little Less Conversation by JXL versus Elvis. Which is awkwardly used in, in the scene where like where Clark is talking to his dad. Right? Like, what choices? Truth or Dare by N-E-R-D. Tomorrow by Avril Lavigne. I presume this is the <laughs> Avril Lavigne Mark One. I'm not sure. I, I don't know that much about that conspiracy of when she was replaced. <laughs> People are really serious about that. Uh. Duplicity had Southbound Train by Travis Tritt. Wow. I remember that one, actually. Ordinary by Greg Jones. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so obnoxious. Goodbye by Stephanie Simon. And Leading With My Heart, Alicia Peacock. More low-key on this one. We're getting some mm-hmm. serious drama songs for uh-huh. a friend episode. Our emotions. Mm-hmm. And Red splurged out all of... Splooged all over the place. Yeah. yeah, the worse the episode, the more music it has. <laughs> I'm getting... I suspect that this is the connection. Unexpected by Sprung Monkey. Break Off Your Wings by Boss House. American Made by Sprung Monkey. Damn, did they cut them a big check? In California by Boss House. Breakable by Fisher. It's Time to Party by Andrew W.K. (laughs) Party, 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 party. Tattoos of Jackpot. Breathe In by Fru-Fru. Oh, Fru-Fru's actually a band I've heard of. Oh, no, I'm sad. I had had them on a horrible mixtape as a teenager. (laughs) It was really embarrassing. I think it was Invader Zim related, but like angsty. Wow. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, so you're saying you're a problematic shipper. No. (laughs) They're 12. (laughs) And Stop Crying Your Heart Out by Oasis, presumably from one of the five minutes where they stopped arguing with each other long enough to release a hit. Yeah. Oh, the music on this show continues to delight. It's it's a lot. All right. So next time we will be doing episodes five through eight. Is there anything... Uh, incredibly ominous coming up. I'm going to show you just the titles, and you can tell me how much pain I should be in. Yeah, sorry folks, Pa Kent didn't have very much, uh... It kind of all went in with the journalism. Always always let somebody else do your killing for you. In this case, Lex Luthor, so that we can, uh, you know... Pa Kent allowed Lex Luthor to murder a man for him. That makes it fine. And, uh, you know, control your boners. All right. Well, we've got the Twilight episode coming up. Yeah, so we've got the Twilight episode coming up, some deep lore about Martha Kent, um, some stuff happening with Clark's adoption and conspiracies there. Sort of a running theme. And then episode eight is called Ryan. I have guesses. I don't know if you guys all remember. The, the precious little brother. The precious little brother who's psychic. He's coming back. All right. You know what? I'm actually fine with that. Yeah. He's, he's visiting from, uh, I think he lives in Center City right now. No, Star City. Look forward to that next time. Yeah. We're really sort of digging into the questions of uh, blood parentage and, and how we family. I, I'm sure that Smallville will do stupendous at it. All right, well, that about wraps us up. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked this, you can find it more episodes and 
our main show by going to SoundCloud and looking up Trash and Treasures. You can also email us at trashtreasurespod at gmail.com. We love to get mail. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash trashandtreasures. Uh, if you join up, we have bonus episodes and a drink guide and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, you can also commission an episode if you have something you'd really like for us to talk about. Burning desire to know our opinions. <laughs> we really appreciate it. it. helps us, you know, pay the hosting costs and find source media for our episodes. We are also on social media. We are on Tumblr at trashandtreasurespod.tumblr.com and we are on Twitter at TrashPod. Uh, this week I want to give a shout out to Mage uh, hyphen cat on Tumblr who did a really sweet post talking about some of their favorite episodes. I, I can't believe that you've been listening that long and it it really warmed our heart to see like people write so many thoughtful words about a thing that we did. and Yeah, it was really sweet. Thank you so much. My, my heart? We can't. Uh. <laughs> All right. And next week we will have yet another commissioned episode of Drunk Book Club, which I am both excited and dreading, uh, to be honest. Yeah, so it's a book called Wings, and we'll talk about some trigger warnings uh, before we get into it. Yeah, as always, we'll try to be upfront with yeah. that stuff. I'm just putting a pin in it, especially because if I'm drunk, it's harder to remember. But if I've made a verbal commitment... There we go. All right. Until next time, go crows. Go crows.